The more that you can disappear and be in the background and not be noticeable, the better of a woman you are. And that's the world I grew up in. That dichotomy between who I was as a human being and who I was supposed to be was so vast and so painful, you know, and I couldn't bear it another second. So it isn't about saying, oh, but I'm such a, a chicken, I'm so afraid. That's okay. Do it anyway. Do it anyway. Because I don't think fearless actually means not having fear. I think fearless means facing your fear and overcoming it. Julia Hart, welcome, homie, to Women of Impact. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Oh my God, I'm so excited. So you've written a book called Brazen. Yes. And I looked up the word brazen in the dictionary. Okay. And it means bold without shame. Now, what I find so incredible, in, if, in case people don't know your background, is you were brought up in such a strict upbringing. Mm-hmm. And you were brought up in a world where women were treated actually treated like second-class citizens. Oh, 100%. And in, they live in service of a man. That's right. Now, that is so incredible that that's where you come from. And yet, girl, you're sitting here, <laughs> you're freaking reading a book called Brazen. <laughs> so this episode, I want to go so deep on how the hell you go from being brought up with that mentality, that mindset, being treated like a second-class citizen for so many years yep. to where you are today. <laughs> So if you don't mind, I'd love you to paint us a picture of your life growing up. I think that's a powerful place to start. So I think the easiest way to describe the world I lived in is twofold. If you've ever watched Bridgerton or The Gilded Age, any of those time period pieces, and you see that women were considered to be inferior and they weren't supposed to go to college and they weren't supposed to talk about politics and, you know, they got married off to someone they didn't know and there was... In those time periods, your biology defined your destiny. That's the way I put it. And the world has moved forward and understood that women are just as capable as men. They're just as intelligent. They don't need to be protected. You know, think about the fact that I read that in the 70s, you still couldn't get, a woman couldn't get a mortgage in the outside world without a man's signature Mm -hmm. or a credit card. At the BBC in the 1970s, women weren't allowed to wear pants. So if you really want to understand my world, just go back 100 years. That's it. Not even 100 years. Go back 90 years. So that's the world I grew up in. And the uniformity and conformity that is required from you is the greater of a woman you want to be, the more you need to have complete removal of self. Meaning the more that you can disappear and be in the background and not be noticeable, the better of a woman you are. And that's the world I grew up in. Wow, okay, so paint actually what that picture looks like when you are in the background and you are basically working towards being invisible. Yeah, so there's a great um, joke told uh, in my world um, that there was this yeshiva, which is like the school of learning, and the whole purpose of that school was to teach you humility, right? So that you didn't think you were amazing and brilliant or whatever. You should be humble in the eyes of God. So, of course, it's only for guys, right? So this boy walks in to yeshiva, to school, for the first day. He's so excited. He got in, right, like going into Harvard or Stanford. And he sits down, and he sees all the other students saying, I'm nothing, I'm less than nothing, the earthworm is greater than me, blah, 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 blah. So he sits down and starts chanting the same thing. I'm nothing, I'm less than nothing. And a guy to his left turns to his partner and says, He's been here for two minutes and he already thinks he's nothing. So there is this pride in disappearing yourself because that's what you're taught is the path to goodness and righteousness. And it's a high. It's what I called a, it's a, you know, spiritual high that you get. It's like any drug. You feel so much better than everyone else. You feel like you have all the answers to the universe. And yes, you're miserable. And you're being taught that your own nature is bad and that you don't know and understand what you actually want and need and that your needs are irrelevant. My mother used to say all the time, where in the Torah does it say you need to be happy? Who says you have to be happy? Why is happiness a thing? You should be unhappy. 
That's not the point. Serve God. And if serving God means being unhappy, that's what you do. The problem was I taught Judaics. I had guests in my house all the time. I did all these mitzvahs, right? All these positive commandments. But my nature was the problem. I am not retiring. I am not shy. I'm not a background kind of person. And I love to learn. So I was reading things because women are not allowed to learn the Talmud, the Gemara, the very books that their lives are governed by. They need a man to translate and transmit to them what another man said women have to do, right? And I couldn't take it. I taught myself Aramaic. A lot of these books are written in Aramaic and men are taught the language and women are not. So I taught myself Aramaic and I literally started deciphering the Talmud and reading all the commentaries. And I always got in trouble because we would have someone come to my house and they would quote something and I'd be like, hmm, I don't think so. I just read that and I think it said this. And that was a big no-no because women were supposed to be studying those things in the first place. I had guys tell me, darling, your place is in the kitchen. Don't talk, literally. So, you know, it's this war between what you're taught is goodness, the only path to goodness, and who you are innately as a human being. Like, I never felt comfortable in my own skin. Mm. I always felt like I wasn't allowed to be myself. Girl, thank you for breaking that down. And um, there was something that you just said. So if you're in those moments and you are miserable and you are unhappy and it's not a true reflection of who you are, do you think getting the high that you mentioned is a almost safety net, like a kind of protective mechanism? No, I think it's, I think it's the panacea. Like mm. to me, it's the reward system, right? You know, we have this whole thing in our, in our minds that habits, what are habits? If you pass a McDonald's and you love McDonald's, just the sign gets your taste buds <laughs> salivating, right? You yeah. feel a rumble in your stomach. Like, we associate th- certain things with pleasure. Mm-hmm. So it, that's what that spiritual high is. You say to yourself, okay, I'm relinquishing my freedom. I'm making myself subservient. I'm doing this, I'm doing that. But that feeling of righteousness, instead of making you humble, it makes you haughty. Mm. You say, okay, I relinquish freedom, but I get the trade-off that I'm gonna feel superior to everyone else. That's really what it is. God, that's so true. And how do you start then to break what is actually reality with what is a belief of the reality? Because I heard you said many, many years later that you met, I believe it was an Iranian woman, and the Armenian, Armenian, Sorry, yes, Armenian, yes, yes. Um, where you hear about like what is true, what is yeah. not, how do we exactly. believe things, and then how do we um, take those beliefs and put them in our real life and then act in accordance. So tell me that because yeah. it was so strong to hear. You know, there were certain core beliefs that I was taught my entire life, right? And one of them was that proof of our chosenness, that we're the chosen people, is that. Uh, genocide has been perpetrated on us and we're the only people that genocide has been perpetrated upon. And the thinking was as follows. When Jews don't separate themselves from the outside world, when they intermarry, when they go to colleges and movies and live a normal life, if they don't separate themselves by themselves, God brings a Hitler to force the separation. That's what I was taught. I was taught the Holocaust was a punishment for us you know, integrating into the outside world because the Haskalah movement, like the reform movement started in Germany. So because the reform movement started in Germany and Nazism started in Germany, there was that correlation. If you mix with the non-Jews and live a secular life, God brings a Hitler. And I was taught that we are the only people that God has done this to and that's a proof of his love because he wants to keep us pure and holy. And when I left, by the way, I still totally believed everything I was taught. I just wanted to be modern Orthodox. I just didn't want to be extreme. And then I meet this woman in Las Vegas, this Armenian woman, and I don't know how we just got, I'm very, I tend to like philosophize with (laughs) total strangers, I don't know. And we start to talk about the Holocaust and I tell her, you know, what I was taught my whole life. And she's like, Julia, the Jews are not the only people genocide has been perpetrated against. I was like, what are you talking about? And she's like, uh, my people, 
uh, there was attempted genocide on my people. And she tells me this story about the Armenians and the Turks and how they were all marched into the desert and decimated. Pure, literal, the exact same thing. Millions of people killed because of their race. And I mean, I think I had to sit down. I was so shocked because I was furious that what I had been taught was a literal lie, a lie. And then I found out about other genocides in Rwanda. There's so many places where one group of people have attempted to exterminate another through genocide. We are by far not the only ones. You know, I was taught that, you know, be very wary of non-Jews. And the smiling ones and the nice ones are the most dangerous because they're hiding their true feelings about you. And just like in Germany, your neighbors turned you into the Gestapo and stuck you in an oven. That could happen in any minute. So it was us and them. Okay, this is so freaking powerful. And while I'm sure not m many people can necessarily relate to exactly what you're saying, it so highlights the power of belief. Yeah. And that's really where so I want to go down is, so looking back now, what were the signs that maybe you could identify that slowly to be that tr trickling effect that led you to giving your power away? Because I think so. I was just a child, honestly. I was a kid. Yeah. And you have to understand, this is the genius of extremism, is that you believe completely, utterly, and wholeheartedly that this is what God wants. And so you police yourself and you start feeling guilty. I thought I was a bad person. I thought that I was supposed to subdue my outgoing nature, subdue my intellect, subdue my desire to learn and understand and know. I thought that those parts of my personality were flaws. Mm -hmm. They made me evil because it's not what God wanted for me. So how then do you go from that and there's one story you go in there, but it was so amazing. I'd love for you to tell it, where you basically put the, your hood all the way over your head. Yes. Because this is what I found fascinating. That was my first brazen moment yeah. right there. I find fascinating about the stories where you talk about these moments where, you know, um, you sleep in a separate bedroom with your husband and, you, you know, you have to be very subdued. And then all of a sudden you throw in this story that you've got like this. You're like so freaking stubborn and you're like, no, 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 I'm taking the because power. Because it wasn't the law. Ah, that's okay. the so, difference. To break that down, because from yeah. the outside, who isn't someone who isn't religious, right. right? I look at someone who is giving a lot of their power away, and they're over here. They're freaking stubborn <laughs> as hell, and they're like, "God damn it, you are not taking my power." <laughs> so um, the dichotomy is because in our, in my world, and again, this does not apply to ninety-nine point nine percent of Jews, but in my world, there are two sets of rules. Okay, there's something called halacha, which is law, meaning this is what it says in the Talmud or Gemara. This is exactly what God wants. And then there's something called chumrah. Chumrah is an add-on, a want to, not a have to. Okay, so there are different kinds of chumrah. So, for example, you have to eat kosher food, right? And there, if you break that law, you're going to get in a lot of trouble. The government will come after you. So most Jews drink milk without any symbol on it because it's cow's milk. It's kosher by definition. Super uber religious Jews take on an extra chumrah, another, I mean, again, this is not the law. This is an add-on. And they say, well, what if a non-Jew sneaks in some pig's milk just to make Jews drink non-kosher? So we won't drink milk unless there's a rabbi standing there from the minute the cow is milked until it's in the container. And that's called Chal of Yisrael. So that's an example. So it's all these add-ons that are supposed to make you holier, but they're not laws. Mm. So what I was taught is that if you want righteous children who will serve God, the walls of your house should not see your nakedness, which means you are never allowed to be uncovered, ever. Not in your bedroom, not when you're sleeping. At no moment, you always had to be covered head to toe. And to do that while you're sleeping, to cover your hair while you're sleeping, is complicated, right? Because you move around. Mm -hmm. How do you keep something on your head? So a lot of people in my world use something called a tichel. It's kind of like a snood or like a kerchief, but it's got elastic all the way around. 
so it stays on your head. And it's just like, think of it like a giant sock, a giant <laughs> sock that you stick over your head to cover all your hair. But the problem is, how do you keep that sock on your head? How do you keep that tickle on your head? You have to pin it. Otherwise, it's gonna fall off. And then the walls of your house are gonna see your hair, God forbid. Okay, so I had to sleep with metal pins in my head and I have a very difficult time sleeping altogether. I meditate, I count, I breathe, I do breathe. Like, it's difficult. I am not, I'm, you know, pretty much an insomniac. So for me to sleep with metal shards digging into my head was impossible. I couldn't sleep a wink, did not sleep. And I couldn't take it. I was exhausted and I was working in two schools, teaching in two different schools. I couldn't function. And I told my husband, I said, um, this is not a law. This is an add-on and it's an add-on I'm not willing to take. So that's the thing. If it was a law, it didn't even occur to me to question it. That's the difference. So when something was a law, I took it as a given that it was true. Laws, I never questioned. So the law that said I can't study, the law that said I have to be subservient to my husband, all those laws, because they were laws, I never argued against. But the extras, I was like, wait a minute. I may not argue against a law, but I'm gonna argue against this extra because I am not willing to take this on. I can't do it. I'm, but even then you feel inferior. You feel that if you were really holy, you would be able to. And again, this makes my husband sound bad, but you should not blame it on him because both he and I were taught those things. Like he believed it just the way I believed it. Like he thought just as I did that if you don't have that holiness to be able to do that, you're an inferior person. Mm -hmm. But I believed that too. It's not his fault at all. And you know, he looked at his friend's wives, they all slept with the, the kerchief on their head. So they all do it, what's wrong with you yeah. that you can't? So I fought it because it wasn't a law, but I still felt inferior that I wasn't holy enough to keep this extra. And then explain what you did. Oh, so, okay, <laughs> rebellion, you know, I mean, again, my rebellions were very small, but very important to me. So I said, okay, if the walls of my saintly house will be horrified by my hair, they're not gonna see my face either. And so I took this tickle, I mean, literally think of it like, if you would take this pillowcase off, yeah. right? And you would put it like this over your head and, and it was elasticated and then you pinned it, that's what it took a look like. Yeah. I pulled it all the way down over my face. And for eight days, I walked around my house headless. Eight headless. days. Headless. And we lived in a tiny apartment. I don't even think it was 300 square feet. It was probably like 200 or 150. Tiny, tiny little apartment. There was nowhere to hide me. So when his friends came over, they saw his headless wife with a black, and it's also black, right? Hi. It's usually dark colors, so no hair can peek through. So I wore a black sock over my head for eight days in protest to having to wear it to bed. And finally, after eight days, and my husband realized, wow, I married a very, very <laughs> stubborn woman. He finally relented and let me sleep with my hair uncovered. But I felt guilty. Mm. I felt like I'm not holy. I'm not as holy as his friend's wives. Okay, so I would love to now talk about, now you've painted such an eloquent um, picture of what your life was, that transition, right? <laughs> like, how do you go from that? Torture, it's torture. I mean, you know, my TV show is about my present informed by my past. Mm -hmm. The book is my journey. And it was a very, very painful and difficult one. I mean. When I walked out the door, I may have looked sane, but I wasn't. I was destroyed. And I was, you know, at the point of suicide. I wanted to die. That dichotomy between who I was as a human being and who I was supposed to be was so vast and so painful, you know, and I couldn't bear it another second. And so when I walked out the door into a world that I knew nothing about, um, I had no friends. I knew no one in the outside world. And I had to reinvent myself and find a path in life and choose 
my own destiny. I mean, it's real. It's really time travel. You're walking into a world you know nothing about. I lived in the 1800s. My life was very similar to the lives of the women in Bridgerton or Downton Abbey or the Gilded Age. Mm -hmm. That was my life. And so to time travel from the 18th century to the 21st, it's very jarring and disconcerting. I'd never been on a date with someone I chose. I'd never been to a bar. I'd never been to a club. I'd never gone to college. Like all these, I'd never had a boyfriend. And how old are you at this point? Just let 40, people... I'm a, I'll, at the end of my 42nd year. So I just want people to know this isn't... years yeah. old. Yeah, 42 years old. Eight years ago, I'm 50 years old right now. If you own your own business, when an employee leaves your company, whether on good terms or bad, it can feel, I hate to say it, but it actually can feel personal. Like you and you alone are the one to blame. And it actually may even trigger you to lock down your business, not open yourself up and not actually risk trying anyone else. Like you actually would your heart after a bad breakup and avoid looking for that new partner altogether. Well, let's face it, sometimes we can do that with hires as well. And trust me, guys, I've been there. I get the thought of bringing in a new stranger into your business actually fills your heart with more anxiety than it does love and joy. But when you post your jobs on LinkedIn, you can actually feel the confidence that you will find the right person for the right job fast because LinkedIn isn't actually just another job board. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion billion with a B professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Because guys, it gives you access to professionals that you actually can't find anywhere else. And so LinkedIn does all that while making the process easy and intuitive, which then makes hiring with confidence easy when you have that many quality candidates. And it's so easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get qualified candidates within 24 hours. So post your jobs for free at linkedin.com slash Lisa. That's linkedin.com slash Lisa to post your job for utterly free. And of course, terms and conditions always apply. As an entrepreneur, one of the biggest challenges you will face is the negative voice in your head. You know who I'm talking about? That may be not so small part of you that loudly doubts your abilities to actually pull the things off and make a living from your passion project. But you've got to overcome that negative voice in your head, homie, because I'm telling you, you can do it especially if you use Shopify. Now, Shopify is an all-in-one global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From launching your business to hitting a million dollars, Shopify has got you completely covered. And with all the built-in Magic AI award-winning customer service and the internet's best converting checkout, you have everything you need to shut down the voice of doubt and make all your amazing business dreams a reality. That's exactly why, guys, I love Shopify. So if you want to start growing your business with more customers and sales, shut that negative voice down and prove her wrong that you can do it, Shopify is here for you. So go and sign up for just $1 a month with your trial period at shopify.com slash Lisa all lowercase. Again, guys, you can go to shopify.com slash Lisa right now to grow your business no matter where you are and what stage it's in. That's shopify.com slash Lisa. So how, that's so powerful. Was it then that moment? Because even if someone's not in this exact situation, right, in the place where I'm living a life that doesn't feel right, it's that, you even said, the dichotomy between the two. But what's that final thing? Is it that you felt so like I'm going to mm. die and it was suicide or the f- like face the fear of doing something different? No, I wish I could say that it was. It's not true. Um, I would have probably chosen suicide if it wasn't for my daughter, Muriel. Because, you know, my other daughter, Bacheva, was happy. She was married. She was smiling. My son, Shlomo, was someone I did worry about because he was becoming... You know, he was being indoctrinated and becoming very extreme. He was taught to look down at the ground when he walked, which is not a really safe way to walk around because he, he shouldn't see, you know, improperly dressed women, right? Um, and so, but Miriam, Miriam, my daughter Miriam, is my twin, except she had me as a mother. Mm. So, here is this little kid, and I mean, you know, I remember this story, and I know it sounds so silly, but it stands out to me because it's 
the quintessence of who she is. So uh, I think it was second grade or first grade, we, you know, we went to PTAs and um, every child had written a little paragraph. Uh, and the topic was, if you could walk in someone's shoes, whose shoes would you walk in? And so you go in and you have, this kid says, my saintly grandmother who had 12 children. The other one says, oh, my mother who had 14 children and who never cried and blah, blah, blah. It was always like these holy women, because remember, it's only girls only, right? Mm -hmm. These holy women who sacrificed so that their man could be a great scholar, okay? And then you have my daughter, five or six years old, and she writes, why would I want to walk in anybody else's shoes? My mother's shoes are too high. My father's shoes are too big. I wouldn't be able to walk around or play sports. I'm going to walk in my own shoes. And that's who she was. She refused to walk in anybody else's shoes. And she was like, she just walked her own path. And it's not because I talked to her about it because I was too afraid to talk about how unhappy I was, too afraid to speak about the fact that I thought it was wrong that women were considered inferior to men. I, I kept it hid because I thought that made me a bad person. But when my six-year-old started questioning it, she gave me permission to say something's not right because I had convinced myself that I was bad. Nobody can convince me that my six-year-old was bad. And then that started me on that journey and then to walk out the door, Miriam came back hysterically crying because she was accused of cheating on a test. And, she, and this is a kid who literally got into Stanford University, is the youngest ever professor ever to teach a class in Stanford University. She taught AI as a freshman. And this teacher accused her of cheating. And she was I'd never, I mean, she's not a crier. Neither of us are criers. I'd never seen her cry. And she was so devastated that the teacher didn't think she was capable of doing that. And it was just too good to be done by this girl. And that was it. I fucking walked out the door. Picked my shit up and walked out the door. That was the last straw because what hit me is that if I commit suicide, yes, I save the pain that I'm feeling, but she's gonna feel that same pain. She's going to be married off just like I was. She's going to be told that she is inferior and they're going to slowly, slowly, because it is slowly, slowly, mm. convince her that her very nature and character, that what makes her unique and extraordinary is bad. And I couldn't let that happen. And she's the reason I walked out the door. It's such a heartbreaking and beautiful story all at the same time because the fact that you made the change no matter how hard it was for someone that you love that dearly is so powerful. And the heartbreaking thing though is also what if someone doesn't have that? What if someone yeah. doesn't have that pull? And it reminded me actually of the story with your brother. So your brother wanted to be a doctor. I mean, it's so sad that, that he had to hide medical books and read them in the bathroom. Can you imagine getting in trouble for reading books about medicine, for wanting to be a doctor? And the, that story hit me so hard because it, I really, I paused when I heard it and I was like, you can have two people, same upbringing, right? And you would think the man has it better in this situation. And you have someone like him who desperately wanted to be a doctor. Oh my God, he told you. And then he gets, to be an adult, he's brainwashed, and he pretends it didn't even exist. Yeah. He just denied the whole thing ever happened. And then you have someone like you that doesn't do that, that actually makes a change. And so I start to think about, okay, but what if your daughter didn't do that? What if that didn't happen? I would have killed myself. I would not be allowed to. She is the only reason I am on this earth. I would not, it was too frightening. It, it seemed insurmountable. Like the odds stacked against me seemed impossible to overcome. How was I gonna go in a world where I didn't know anyone? Where I didn't have a profession? I didn't have experience. I didn't have connections. I had nothing. And I was so clueless. I was so naive. I, I was literally an 18th century woman.
So thinking about what someone can hear right now with you saying, I love that you said, well, I thought it was impossible because clearly, girl, you're freaking like this incredible entrepreneur who has a, I Thank mean, just, you. you've got your TV Thank show, you. Unorthodox Life. Like it's, you're freaking crushing it. Thank you. Um, so it's important to, for people to see it's actually not impossible. The yeah. impossible, the, the word impossible only lives within your mindset. In your mind. You know, it's interesting because I hate zoos. The idea of anything being caged for mm. someone else's viewing pleasure, mm. I'm just not okay with it. Yeah. You know, it's like the whole freedom thing, right? Animals should be just as free as humans. Mm -hmm. But my kids were begging me they wanted to go to a zoo. So I said, okay, you know what? If I'm going to take you to a zoo, it's going to be the San Diego Zoo because at least there they recreate their habitats. They roam around free. I felt a little better about it, mm. just a smidge. So we, and the way that it works is like you go into this, like, or the way that it worked all those years ago. I don't, I haven't been there in a very, very long time. But at that time, you go into this, like this safari Jeep and you drive through each habitat and the guy talks about the animals and the environment. So we get to this one place and he points out this elk and he says that this animal can jump higher than any other animal in the animal kingdom. And then he asks us a question. He says, do you see the fence, the gate, something that keeps them in this habitat, keeps them enclosed? Look around, no fence, no gate, no doors, nothing. And I'm like, wait a minute, what is keeping these animals inside? Okay, imagine there are four poles on the corners of their uh, yeah. habitat, just four like telephone poles. And connected on the very top of these giant telephone poles was like a half a pipe in the shape of a C. Okay. So like, um, literally imagine something like mm -hmm. this, right? Half a pipe. So something that went like this. Right. Okay. So what the tour guide told us is that when this animal prepares to jump, this elk goes to the edge of the enclosure and looks up at the sky <laughs> to gauge the height that it needs to jump. And so these animals, oh. you're getting it. You, I see on that in yeah. your face. Oh my God. These animals come to the edge, look up, and think that there's a ceiling on top of their heads because that curve, they think it's going across and that there's a ceiling. Oh my God. And so they never try to jump. They could walk through. The only fence is in their minds. And when I saw that, there was this light bulb that went off in my head. And it hit me that all those impediments, all that thinking of it's impossible, all of those things, they're here. It was me thinking that that's what God wanted that forced me to act this way. It was me accepting these boundaries, these rules, these commandments and strictures that made my life so miserable. I chose to do that. It was my mind that was keeping me a prisoner. Women in general, maybe not to the extreme that I live in, although there are many women who live in communities, not just Jewish, but Muslim, Christian, uh, you know, I mean, there's so many other Hindu, I mean, anything to the extreme. Mm. And they're taught that they are, their only purpose in life is to be married and have children and to listen to their husbands, and they believe it. And even women who don't live in those kind of situations, you're taught to be polite, you're taught to be obedient, you're taught to wait your turn. You know, I read this article that many rapes um, could be avoided if women listened to their that warning voice mm -hmm. in their head, but they're trained to be so polite that they literally ignore the danger, danger flashing in their brain and answer the question or talk to the stranger because they are so inculcated with appropriate behavior, politeness, that outweighs the danger, danger, mm -hmm. run, 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 that's in their mind. Women, not, I mean, secular women, mm -hmm. we are taught I mean, there are words that are reserved exclusively for women. Did you ever hear the word a well-behaved man? I've <laughs> never, ever heard it. I 
I've to say never, that, ever so heard it. It's always women who are well-behaved, girls who are well-behaved. Mm. It is time for men to be well-behaved, and for us, it's our turn. Oh my God. I'm that. done being well-behaved. I wish I had the stat, and I'm not quite sure, but I don't know if you've heard that um, women, because we always try to be polite, if we're choking, if we're eating, we excuse ourselves and go to the bathroom. Yeah. Most women die in the bathroom I believe from choking. It's the same thing. Because you don't want to interrupt other people. Yeah. So you go in, and what you end up doing is choking to death. Yeah. It's insane. I it's the same thing yeah. like with the rape. Like we're, we'd rather be polite and die than not be polite. And we don't even realize it. It's so pervasive in our society, even, even modern society. There are so many inequities and I see them everywhere. Like even in the modern world, even in the outside world, when a man travels for work, he's a good provider, he takes care of his family, all these, you know, accolades. When a woman travels for work, your poor children, oh, your husband has to babysit. Excuse me. Sorry. Why is that when a woman stays home, she's not babysitting. She's just doing what she's supposed to be doing. But God forbid a man has to stay home and the woman travels. She's an evil witch and a bitch, even if she's bringing in the money. And he, poor, poor man, he has to babysit his own children. So everything you're saying is so fire, girl, which is why, like, literally, as I'm reading your book, I'm like, it's, it seems like it's two different people, right? Like, reading about your past and how you were, how you thought, how you acted, and then hearing literally what you just said. And it's so powerful to show people exactly that you're just, you're really showing up and a true example and inspiration of Thank your belief system and where you grow up doesn't have to be your future. No. And so I want to keep diving deeper into this, if you don't mind. Okay. So now you've left, you've got that reason, you've got that thing to hold on to. Yeah. And now it becomes a deprogramming, right? The oh. unwiring of all the beliefs. <laughs> Not an easy task. Yeah. So talk to me about that, especially with you said when it became, because you didn't give up on your religion, no, right? It wasn't like you not. gave up on your beliefs. No. You still were very strong with that. Yeah. So talk to me about how you start to let go of the fact that women are inferior, all these things that you were taught. Yeah. What are those things that you did to get there? So it's interesting because had you asked me this question a month ago, two months ago, I would have told you I have eradicated that from my system. There isn't a shred of that woman left, but that's not true. Um, as much, as far as I've come, I still find myself in a place where I think men know better. Mm. Even though saying that out loud sounds so crazy. But indoctrination, you don't even realize how deep it goes and how hard it is to eradicate. So slowly, step by step, it was a, you know, like my first boyfriend was kind of a mix between my old world and my new world controlling, you know, he thought women should behave one way and men shouldn't behave the other way. But on the other hand, he was younger and handsome and not Jewish and a party guy. I, you know, it's a very, very slow, gradual process. And you don't even realize how it affects, like, I'm a people pleaser, right? I'm always making the peace, doing whatever it is to keep the peace, making everyone around me happy. Like I used to get anxiety when people weren't smiling because in my life back there, that was my job to make everything copacetic so that my husband wouldn't have any stress so that he could become a great Torah scholar. That was my purpose in life, right? And so even though you look at me now, you know, the way I dress, the way I speak, I'm very out there. So yes, I have come a long way, no doubt. But clearly it has had lasting impacts on my psyche and my confidence and my belief in myself. And I'm literally a work in progress. I am still slowly, day by day, eradicating that from my mind, cleansing myself of this inferiority, you know, um, there's this expression that uh, you know someone is a Jewish if they if someone is Jewish if they have three character traits: Rachmanim, Baishanim, Vegomli, Chasadim. Rachmanim means merciful. Mm -hmm. Jews are, are taught to be merciful. Um, 
Gomle Hasadim means people who do acts of kindness. So charity, taking care of others, these are very big cornerstones of uh, the Jewish religion, which is something that I love and appreciate, and I'm so grateful I was brought up to think that way. But that second one, Baishanim, means shame. Mm. That they feel deep shame. Right? You always talk about Jewish guilt. Yeah. That concept of shame, to me, is the biggest handcuff to being yourself. Because you're taught that everything that is unique about you is shameful. That you are shameful. That thinking the way you think is shameful. And like, when you argue with your husband or some other man or your teacher, it's a very unfair fight because it's one person against 5,000 years of history mm -hmm. and God himself and all these brilliant rabbis. You're the selfish bitch who's not okay with this, but you're one little person and you're fighting against God, mm. right? So things that you just said there that were super powerful and I don't want to brush over them. I love that you said you're not over it yet. And you're the not. reason why I say that is we may never be, right? The yeah. things that we're trying to all overcome, the belief system yeah. that we're trying to shape and change because we know it doesn't serve our goals anymore. I think it's important to say that because so many of us, including myself, I used to live in, well, when this happens, when I'm over it, when yeah. I come uh, overcome this. Yes. And I think there's so much beauty in saying, but the when may never come. And so now, it's the work in progress yeah. that we can be proud of ourselves yes, we about. just have to just celebrate the victories. Yeah. But, and it's, it's so annoying. <laughs> it's so annoying. Like, wait a minute. But because basically, my intellect knows it's wrong. Right, right. But my heart doesn't. That's so powerful. I actually have a quote of yours that you said, um, fear is rarely rational. And so to your point that even if you know better, it still doesn't make a difference yep. of how you behave exactly. and how you feel. Exactly. And so there was one story actually that you told. So I didn't realize personally just from, I'm Greek Orthodox, by the way. <laughs> um, so but there, I was just like learning so much about, um, you know, how you were brought up and the, the notion of not wearing pants. So women Oof. aren't supposed to wear yeah, pants. That's a big, big no-no. Now, what's interesting from someone who doesn't have the same belief system that you grew up with, when I heard you say, I was more worried about wearing pants than having a one-night stand, I was like, what? <laughs> it's not logical. And I love that you're saying all of this because I don't want people at home to think, well, if I feel like this, then I must be wrong. Or right. It's like, no, there's actually a massive disconnect yeah. between things. You have to give your, You have to forgive yourself. And you have to give yourself time. And, may, and as you said, maybe I'll never get there. Maybe I'll never get to the place where my heart knows that I'm not inferior to a man. Mm. Maybe I'll never get to the place where I'll put myself first. But I'm going to sure fucking try. <laughs> but that's the, that's the thing. Yeah. You, you're still trying. I'm, oh, I'm never going to stop. I'm going to just... And, and the other thing is you don't always notice. You don't always notice until it's too late. You know, um, you said something that really stuck with me. You said how, you know, you had this uh, situation happen at work and you had had an inkling that something wasn't right. And you didn't listen to your voice, but you did do a really huge step. You acknowledged that you had that inkling mm -hmm. and you acknowledged that you were choosing not to listen to it, which is a, a, just the understanding of that that acknowledgement is a huge step. So this is me acknowledging that I'm not there yet. This is me acknowledging that I have a long way to go until I eradicate that inferiority complex I've had my whole life. And do you advise that that's where people should start? It's just acknowledging yeah. it? Yeah, because to me, that was the first step of my journey. When Miriam said, mm. she would ask my husband questions all the time. Why can't I ride, you know, why can't I play soccer in pants? Why can't I play basketball? Someone will see your knees. Someone will, why can't I sing at the Passover Seder? We would go to my parents' house and she would want to sing a holy Jewish song at the Passover Seder, but she wasn't allowed to because my brothers was there and a, and a girl can't sing in front of guys. So she would have to sit there silent through the whole, you know, in my community, it's like a 
five, six hour Seder, right? Without being able to sing. And she kept asking these questions and the answer always was, because you might lead a man to sin. And she would say, but why is that my problem? Is he responsible for my sins? If he's not responsible for my sins, why am I responsible for his? And I was like, yeah, why are we responsible? Like all the questions, the burning questions that had been in my mind were being given voice to by a six-year-old, an eight-year-old, a nine-year-old. And that gave me the permission to acknowledge Mm. that something wasn't right. And that's the first step is acknowledging that something isn't right. Girl, I want people to really hear your story and where you are today, the fact that you are able to step out of that, to really assess who you are. And then you start this amazing, you know, shoe line, which if you don't mind actually um, just giving me a couple of um, tips there, because again, you come in from this world, you don't actually know anything. And most people would have the imposter syndrome, the who the hell am I? I have the imposter syndrome But you still did it. Yeah. I always say, people always say, oh my goodness, you're fearless. And you know, I would love Mm. to pretend that because it makes me sound amazing, (laughs) but it would also be dishonest and it would be a disservice to other women Mm. because then they'll think, oh, well, she's fearless, I'm not. That's not true. I am fearful. I just do it anyway. The more afraid I am of something, the more I attack it. So it isn't about saying, oh, but I'm such a, a chicken, I'm so afraid. That's okay. Do it anyway, do it anyway, because I don't think fearless actually means not having fear. I think fearless means facing your fear Mm -hmm. and overcoming it. And that's what I tried to do in my life. And you know, it's very stressful. (laughs) It's very stressful. Um, I met this person uh, who lived in um, Brighton Beach in New York. So like a very Russian neighborhood in the 80s and 90s. And um, he was bemoaning how much he missed communist Russia. And my parents were massive anti-communists. I mean, giant anti-communists. You know, my father was arrested for being an anti, like they were real, you know, uh, militant Mm anti-communists. So to hear someone say something positive about communism, I'd never heard that before. So I asked him, what is it that you miss? And I will never forget his answer because what he said applies to all extremist religions. He said, you never have to make a choice. It's all decided for you. And you think about that. It's comfortable. It's comfortable. Never having to wonder what's right, what's wrong. Never having to wonder, is this what I should be doing or is this what I should be doing? All of that stress is removed from you Yes, you give up your freedom for it, but somebody better, smarter, more knowledgeable gets to make your decisions. Whether it's, uh, you know, a communist or a god or your priest or your rabbi or your imam, whatever. You are taught, and it's very comforting to a lot of people, that they know the truth. Mm -hmm. And so you don't have to make any decisions. In my community, like, people don't decide anything without consulting their ama. So you don't, you know, you kind of relinquish a large part of free choice, but you get certainty and comfort back. And, you know, I always tell people I've gotten very comfortable with being uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. I've been uncomfortable for the last eight years of my life. Every time I try <laughs> something new, do something I've never done before, it's a massive learning curve and, um, I'm constantly trying to educate myself, teach myself new things. And I think in a way that's been my greatest strength. Because think about it, when you're young, what do you take pride in? When you're in high school and college and elementary school, what do you take pride in? You take pride in how quickly you learn. As you get older, you start taking pride in how much you know. And that's the walking dead. That's death right there. Because instead of being proud about learning new things and growing and developing like you were as a teenager or a child or a young adult, you knew you didn't know everything. Mm -hmm. And so what was considered 
a great student or an amazing young person was how quickly they could grasp and understand new concepts. As you get older, our mind solidifies and stagnates. And we start being proud of, oh, but I know this. I know that. I know everything. The minute you think you know everything, to me, like, you know, there's that show, The Walking Dead. Mm -hmm. That, to me, is The Walking Dead. Because you're not learning. Yeah. You're not growing. If you think you have all the answers, you're never going to ask any of the questions. And that, to me, is, I mean, I know most people, many people, I don't want to say most people, many people my age have that kind of thinking. When I came into the, you know, fashion, I was told all the time, oh, I'm the expert. I've been doing this for 30 years. I don't care. Just because this is how something is done doesn't mean it's something how it should be done. I literally don't give a flying fuck about what is, you know, the norm or what is like industries. Like, I don't care. I've heard I'm the expert. This is the norm my entire life. I'm not going to listen to that anymore. And think about it. What's the norm now was certainly not the norm 100 years ago. And I'm sure will not be the norm 100 years from now. Norms change and evolve just like humans do. And so we have to stop focusing on what we know as adults. We need to start focusing, like we did when we were young, mm -hmm. on how quickly we learn. We have to get comfortable with the unknown. We have to not just get comfortable with it, we have to jump into it. Because otherwise, there's no growth. I had to pierce my lips so I wouldn't say anything and interrupt you, but that was so good, I wanted to shout and scream like, oh my God, this is so good. Because here's the thing, I've even heard you tell the story. So you have this belief where you grow up, where every, every, all decisions are made for yeah, you. Exactly. No, no, no. Like you don't actually get to choose things, everything's done. So everyone knows better than you, right? That's kind of the, the, the lesson. Then you leave and you go, I believe it's like a lace manufacturing company that you go to. Oh, and yeah. you say, no, 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 this needs to be done. And yeah. then they pat you yeah, on the head. me on head. the head. Yes. You did. And was like, bless, you don't know what you're talking I, about. This company has been making lace since the Louis XIV, you know, because it's in Calais, it's very shishi. And who's this little crazy ass bitch who comes in from nowhere, who no one's ever heard of, nobody knows. She has no fashion pedigree, she's not anyone. And she's telling me to make my leavers lace out of stretch threads so that they can be comfortable and you don't feel like you have a poker up your ass. Yeah. And then what ended up happening? Sold out immediately. <laughs> and here's the best part. He's actually a friend of mine now. Mm. He sent me an email um, probably six months later saying, you saved my company. And, he, and, and, you know, he acknowledged that the new is not bad. Yeah. It's just new. Where can people find you? Where can they find the book? Where can they find so just the book? The book is sold in any bookseller, Barnes and Noble, any any bookseller around the world. Um, I have my Instagram at Julia Hart, and of course the TV show My Unorthodox Life on Netflix, season two coming soon. And um, thank you so much. Guys, guys, go freaking check out this woman. I had so much fun in case you didn't realize. <laughs> Diving deep into her world and her book. It's so beautiful. It's so honest. So go check it out. If you're not following me, follow me at Lisa Bilyeu. And if you're not subscribed, click that subscribe button. And until next time, guys, be brazen huh? <laughs> and be the hero of your own life. Peace out.